Good morning, and welcome to Upward Vision. We're glad you've chosen to join us this morning. Upward Vision is a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church with locations in Bloomington and Bedford, Indiana. Now for today's message. God has something to say about money and that which it can buy. Uh, Jesus, uh, about a third of his parables are about money and the things that money can buy. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, 25% of it plus is about money and the things that money can buy. Now, I've taught homiletics for many years in our seminaries. Homiletics is preaching. And there's a rule in preaching and in hermeneutics, the interpretation of Scripture. And one of those rules is if something is repeated in the Word of God, it's important If it's repeated, it's important. God wants it to capture our attention. The fact that money and the things that money can buy is mentioned so often in the word of God and so often by our beloved Savior Jesus, he wants it to capture our attention because he wants our financial house in order. See, giving is only one small part of having our financial house in order. This is near to my heart. When when Shaw mentioned that I've written some books, I wrote a book on this very issue of how how to take these incredible principles and practices in this book and put it together. Thousands of copies have been sold. A bank president in Kentucky got that book and and he contacted me and he said, this is incredible. You've put into such simple terms how people can have their financial house in order. He bought copies for his children and grandchildren. So God wants us to understand this. And that's where we're going today in the Word of God. So if you would join me by turning to Mark chapter 12, we're going to see what Jesus had to say about generosity. Jesus on generosity. Now this is very important. As you and I open the Bible, whether a a printed book or on a tablet or a telephone, What we want to understand is the context before the content. The passage that we're about to read, the context is this. Before we look at the content, Jesus is in Jerusalem. Where where he's speaking of this moment is in Jerusalem. He's at the temple, and he's there for the feast of Passover. It's the most beloved holiday of the Jews. It's like Christmas to us, Passover to the Jews. People would travel to Jerusalem for that. Jesus is there for the third and final Passover since his baptism in the Jordan River. That's how we know that Jesus had a ministry of three, three and a half years. He's there now and he's going to die during this Passover as a matter of fact, this conversation that he's having that we're about to read is taking place in about the middle of the week, Tuesday or Wednesday. He's going to die on Friday. So it's about T minus 48 hours or T minus 72 hours until his death. Now just stop and think with me for a moment. If you and I knew that we only had two or three days to live, what kind of conversations would we have with people? They would be pretty serious, would they not? We wouldn't be talking about uh, the Super Bowl and who's going to win. We wouldn't be talking about snowfall and the temperatures. We would be talking about what really matters, and that's the context of this conversation. T minus two or three days until his death, and this is what Jesus had to say. Chapter 12, notice with me please in verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were 
were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So this is some people watching. He's watching them. Tens of thousands of people there are in the temple for Passover. It's shoulder to shoulder. He was watching them put their money into the temple treasury. They were taking up an offering, in other words. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Now, whenever Jesus said that, I tell you the truth, that meant that, listen up. Don't let this go in one ear, not the other. He he was getting their attention. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now the message is shaped like this. We're starting wide, and we're going to come down to a discovery. So we're about right here. Don't, don't finish before I do. There are three things that stand out about this moment with just days left in the life of Jesus. First of all, notice the expectation. Jesus is there at the temple, and many people are putting in their gifts. Well, where does that come from? The very fact that in the Old Testament, in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law, the books of the law, God told the Israelites not once but three times, and if it's repeated, it's important. God said, do not come into my presence empty-handed. God said that to his people. And so there was an expectation when they went to Passover or the other required feasts there in Jerusalem that they would bring a gift. And they are there putting in their gift because there was an expectation upon them by God to bring a gift to God during Passover and the other festivals. Now, there's something more, though, that stands out to us. Notice the motivation Many rich people threw in large amounts. Now remember, uh, the offering box was very different then. The the offering box was actually a wooden chest. It was called a shofar, S-H-O-F-A-R. And there were what were called trumpets. Now, you and I, when we see a trumpet, we think that a trumpet is played like this. It's a loud uh, uh, instrument. And what you and I want to remember is that Jesus had something to say about trumpets and giving in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Matthew 6, verse 2. So we think of trumpets announcing like this. No, this is what the trumpet looked like in that day. So... The trumpet was a bell-shaped piece of metal. It was put into that shofar, that chest. So when people came and gave, remember, there's no paper currency. All of their money was in the form of coinage, gold, silver, bronze. They would throw in that offering, and it would go clang, 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 clang. And those who threw in large amounts, oh, it made all the more noise, and they announced with trumpets what they were giving to God. And that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to catch the attention of people. Oh, look how much I'm giving. Clang, clang, clang. Their motivation was selfish and wrong. And then what stands out to us is the devotion. 
the expectation, the motivation, the devotion of that widow. Jesus says, she put in all that she had on which to live. Think with me for a moment. This widow, she put in two small copper coins, we read. Two small copper coins. And what's very interesting is that that word in Greek means, it's from which we get our word leaf, L-E-A-F. So those two copper coins were as thin as a leaf. They wouldn't make any noise at all whatsoever. No one would notice what she put in. But Jesus noticed. That's incredible. And she put in all that she had on which to live. If you would notice with me in verse 38, same chapter, Jesus, he's teaching, and he says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes, be greeted in the marketplaces, have the most important seats in the synagogues, places of honor at banquets. Verse 40, they devour widows' houses. Do you see that? That widow may have been homeless. Maybe her house was one that was devoured by these teachers of the law. Maybe she had no place to lay her head. Maybe she had no food in a pantry, in a deep freeze, in a cupboard that she could go home to and prepare a meal. She's putting in all on which she had to live, and she was in that moment showing her utmost complete devotion to God. That's huge. Incredible. Now, what you and I want to remember is that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what you and I would want to understand is this moment still matters to Jesus, That there's something in this moment that not only did he want his disciples to observe in the first century, he wants his followers in now the 21st century to observe. Are we on the same page? There's something there, and here's that something. That expectation, that first observation, a way that you and I could say that today is no one is too poor to give. No one is too poor to give. You know, uh, I play a lot of Monopoly with the kids and the grandkids. I'm, I'm pretty ruthless when it comes to Monopoly. And there's this chance card, get out of what? Anybody remember? Jail free, a get out of jail free card. Well, there are people who might be thinking, I get a get out of giving free card. No, no one is too poor to give. That's what this moment teaches us from Jesus. Jesus is pointing out that this widow, who might have been homeless, she, she was not too poor to give. As a matter of fact, she gave everything that she had. So somebody might be thinking, oh, I'm in high school, I'm in college, I'm trying to get an education. Oh, you're not too poor to give. You got that part-time job at Starbucks, you can tithe on that. You got that part-time job at McDonald's or wherever, at uh, Costco, you, can't, you can give to God. Yes, you can. No one is too poor to give. Well, we're newlyweds. We're saving up for a house. No, sorry, no one's too poor to give. We don't come into God's presence empty-handed. Well, you know, uh, I'm a widow now or a widower. I'm living on a fixed income. No, no one's too poor to give. Well, I'm a single mom, I'm I'm living on child support and my meager income, no one is too poor to give. I'm a, a divorced dad, I'm trying to pay all of these child support payments and live on this one income, no one is too poor, I'm unemployed, no one is too poor to give. That's what Jesus is teaching us. There's a second teaching there when we look at that motivation factor, 
Love is more of an emotion, uh, an action than it is an emotion. Love is more of an action than it is an emotion. What you and I want to understand by that is when we look in scripture, for example, John 3.16, you know it as well as I do, for God so what? Loved that he what? That he gave. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God is the most outrageously generous giver in all of scripture, in all of existence. He's the only living true God. And he is outrageously generous. Now, let's tie that to this thought in Genesis chapter 1. It says in verse 26, and God said, let us make humankind, mankind in our image. So you and I have been made in the image of God. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We should be a chip off from the old block. And just as God is generous, so also ought we to be generous. That's what it's teaching. And what will enable us to be generous? Not legalism. No, love. Love is more of an action. If you and I say that we love God, we should want to give to God. It should be a part of our uh, relationship with him. That motivation, you know, Valentine's Valentine's Day is coming up in, in just a number of days, few days. And gentlemen, obviously our wives might want some flowers or some chocolate or something uh, and so we're going to go get those flowers uh, in that cart. We're, we're going to go to Kroger, the floral apartment. We're going to pay more for the Hallmark card, the Valentine, than we do the flowers. And, uh, but, you know, we're, we got to do something there. And I can tell you right now, Leah, my wife of 43 years, she appreciates it when I make the bed or run the vacuum or do the dishes. Love is more of an action than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. So that's true when it comes to our giving. Uh, A text that uh, Sean made reference of in the Sermon on the Mount again, Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. No, instead, store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, the heart has to be engaged in our giving. We have to uh, want to love God with this action of giving. You know, uh, an old Nigerian proverb says, it's the heart that gives, the fingers just let go. The heart has to be engaged in giving. And if I'm not giving to God, I question my walk with God. If I am not giving to God, I question my walk with God. And here's the last one that we want to point out. We got that expectation thing, no one's too poor to give, that motivation thing, love is more of an action than it is an emotion. Here it is, devotion. God must be our master, not money. God must be our master, not money. That same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and anybody? 
money. Jesus said that in his sermon. The preacher today isn't saying it. I'm just quoting the master preacher whose name is Jesus. And Jesus said, you and I, we cannot serve both God and money. Cannot doesn't mean should not. No, cannot means we cannot. So God must be on the throne of our lives with regard to all things. So um, we're about right here. We're almost done. How do we bring this home? How do we act on this in a practical way? How do we uh, be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word, as it says in the book of James, chapter one? See, we make things much too difficult. When it comes to giving to God, we make things much too difficult. I wanna share with you about the tithe. The tithe. Now we're going to go to Malachi chapter 3, the last book in the Old Testament, right in front of Matthew. So if you would turn with me to Malachi, please. And, and uh, we want to notice something about the way that Malachi is written. It's a lot of uh, questions and answers. Leah and I, we, my wife, she communicates using questions. And I've learned her, her method these 43 years of marriage. For example, um, it was really cold the other day. I went out and uh, shoveled and blew the snow and came in, built a fire, and I got toasty warm, took my socks off, left them there in the family room on the floor. And then a little bit later on, Leah comes in and she goes, she, she always uses questions. She pointed to the socks and she goes, are those yours? I, why doesn't she just say, please pick these up? You know, why does it? No, are those yours? And I looked at her and I just said, they better be or I'm gonna be asking you questions. <laughs> so here we find in Malachi question and answer between God and his people. His people are in a very bad place, spiritually. And notice in chapter three, he says in verse eight, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? And here's the answer, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. You are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Vines in your fields will not cast their fruits, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, we're going to break this down a little bit. Now, I want you to glance up in verse 6. Do you notice in verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. God is unchanging. He says so right there. So this still matters to God, what we just read. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a victim of robbery. Leah and I have. We went away on a trip, came home. Somebody had uh, taken quite a few things from our home. And I can tell you right now that the emotions that that stirred within me were not positive. They were not very godly in that moment. And I wonder if God is upset emotionally when we rob him of what is rightfully his. And what does he say? He says tithes and offerings. That word tithe is very important. Tithe means how much? Anybody? 
10%. That's what that means. In Hebrew, it means bring to me 10%. Now, some people would say, oh, Gary, this is Old Testament. We don't live under the Old Testament. Well, does that mean that the, the top 10 list is no longer in effect? And I'm not talking about David Letterman's top 10 list. I'm talking about the original one. Uh, that would be God's top 10 list. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. If we don't live under the Old Testament, does all of that get tossed out? And remember what Jesus said in his, again, Sermon on the Mount. He said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So you and I would look at this and understand there's something here that we need to grasp about that tithe. Well, Gary, it says in the New Testament, in, in the, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says in verse 7, uh, that you just decide in your heart what you want to give. Well, again, I would say, please remember that that was a special offering that the Corinthian church said that they would take up a love offering to help people back in Judea who were going through a horrific time of suffering. It was an agreement to take up a love offering, offering. See, tithes and offerings. God says tithes are different than offering. And Jesus, he affirms the tithe in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, easy address, 23, 23, Jesus affirms the tithe. Just look it up. So what you and I would want to understand is this. Tithing is obedience. Offerings are generosity. Offerings are generosity. And he says, test me in this. Bring it here into the storehouse, that would be the church, just like the temple, then the storehouse was the temple. And test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgate of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you, you will not have room enough for it. And so what you and I would want to understand is how important it is for us uh, to bring that tithe to Jesus, to his storehouse. That would be called the church today. I believe in giving to noble causes. That might be the American Red Cross, the American Cancer Society, Habitat for Humanity. They're wonderful organizations. Uh, the American Cancer Society can help people live longer, but only the church, capital C, has the good news of how to live eternally through Jesus Christ. Nobody else has that message. Only the church and so when you and I bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, we are obedient to God. And God says, put me to the test. This is the only time he says it. And I'm here to tell you, God will pass his own test. And he will open the floodgate of heaven and pour out blessing upon us that we are unable to contain. And I'm not talking here about, oh, $100 bills are going to come down out of the sky Blessings, Leah and I, we have this incredible marriage. Our boys are both in the ministry. Our grandchildren are uh, all in Christ. Uh, they're, they're being grown to love God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, 40 years of being a preacher, 30 at the Creek, Indian Creek Christian Church, south side of Indianapolis, doing what I'm doing. Uh, life has been blessed of God. And I learned how to tithe when I was a senior in college. I didn't know what it meant, but somebody had to teach me. And Leah and I, as we got engaged, we made a commitment. From that day on, we will always bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And God has opened the floodgate of heaven and poured out on us so much blessing, we're unable to contain it. It's incredible. God will fulfill his word. But you know what? You and I will never, ever, ever, never, never bring the whole tithe into the storehouse until we learn to, here it is, trust him, just as did that widow.
She put in all that she had on which to live because she trusted God to feed her that night and to shelter her that evening. She trusted God. And you and I have got to learn to trust God. In 1956, a couple of huge things happened. Number one, I was born in 1956. That means I'm in Club Med. Lee and I are in Club Med. That would be Medicare. So that kind of closes the gap here so that you know a little bit about us. But also, the second thing in 1956, our country adopted formally, legally, our motto. What's our nation's motto? Anybody? In God we trust. It's printed on every piece of currency. It is minted on every single coin. In God we trust. Here's my question. Do we or do we not? If you and I are trusting in God for him to raise us from the dead on the day that we draw our last breath, but we cannot trust him to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, again, loved ones, something is wrong in my walk with God. If I trust him for eternal life, but I cannot trust him to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, something is broken in my relationship with Jesus. And if you don't like that statement, it's not coming from the preacher, your issue is with Jesus, not with me. You know, um, a guy by the name of Winston Churchill, he said that uh, we make a living by what we get but we make a life by what we give. When you and I, who have been made in the image of our most outrageously generous Father in heaven, when we give of our time, when we give of our talent, when we give of our treasure, we build a legacy that will be remembered by those who come behind us. Henry Ford had a dear friend, Charlie Steinmetz. Henry and uh, Charlie were buddies. And I have a picture of them that uh, you can see. Here's Henry on the left, Charlie on the right. Henry was uh, a prolific inventor. You know that he developed that first automotive plant in Dearborn, Michigan that had an assembly line. And uh, Henry, he was mass-producing Model Ts. He was making money hand over fist. Charlie was the electrical engineer who designed the generators that powered that first plant. Henry needed a lot of electricity to move that assembly line along. Well, one day the plant went dark and the line came to a screeching halt. The maintenance workers tried all they could to figure out what went wrong, how to get those generators back online, and they failed. So Henry said, all right, get Charlie over here. So Charlie came, he tinkered around for a few hours, he threw the switch, and that plant roared to life, roared to life. Henry was happy because Henry was making money again. He was happy, that is, until he got the bill. From Charlie. He opened the bill and it was for $10,000. That's a very princely sum in the early 1900s. In today's dollars, that's about a quarter of a million dollars. Henry was choking on that bill. So Henry took a pen and he dipped it in his inkwell and he wrote, Charlie, isn't this a bit much for a few hours of tinkering around? Question mark H. Ford. And he gave it to a courier. Courier took it to Charlie. Charlie opened the bill. He saw the note there from 
Henry, he thought, okay, I'll write a new bill. So he wrote a new bill, handed it to the courier. Courier took it back to Henry. Henry opened it, and this is more like it. For a few hours of tinkering around, $10. Now that's more like it. Oh, then he looked down a little bit further, and then it said, for knowing where to tinker, $9,990. Total due, $10,000. So Henry paid the bill. Right now, if you and I are immersed believers, whether on-site or online, if we are followers of Jesus, we've been baptized, immersed in him, on that day, in that very moment, two things happened. Our sins were forgiven, washed away by the blood of Jesus, past, present, future. And the second thing that happened, we received the gift of whom? The Holy Spirit. Repent then and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive, will, not maybe, not perhaps, in the mind, you will receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is in us right now, and he's the one tinkering. Not me. He, God, in our skin is tinkering. And what is he saying to you and to me? when Jesus speaks to us about generosity. This has been Upward Vision, a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. With locations on the east and west sides of Bloomington and in Bedford, Sherwood Oaks has a worship service to meet your needs. To receive a free copy of today's message or for more information about any of our locations and service times, go to socc.org messages. Thanks for joining us. Continue to look to God this week as you maintain the Upward Vision.